friendship with the world and with the wrong people will lead me away from God. It will lead you away. You're not strong enough. You can't do it. You've got to surround yourself with holy, godly, wisdom-filled people that will preach and speak truth into your life, and you do the same to them. You pray for those who are wicked. You pray for the wolves. Pray they will turn and give their life to Jesus. Don't hang out with them. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. God, we just stand amazed in your presence. You're awesome. And God, so often we we don't revere you like you should be revered. So Father, I pray that you'll do a work in this place. That I pray for every home, every life, that you would stir, God, stir. Just revive us again. Speak to our hearts, move. Don't allow us to resist, but... God, I pray that there would be words that were spoken from you today. God, we don't want to hear from a human man. We want to hear from the man, Jesus. So God, speak. Would you do the work? Open our hearts right now. Any rebellion, any defiance, any stiff-necked, hard-heartedness, God, I pray will be removed right now. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a work only you can do. Bend us and break us, move us and make us. Do whatever's necessary, God, to make us more like Jesus. And Father, we'll be quick to give you the praise, to give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4, looking at one verse today, verse 4. James chapter 4, reading from the ESV. And as you're turning there, you're going to see a title in your sermon notes, but I want to add something on to it. I was praying about this even further since these were printed, and I wanted to add a kind of a subtitle, a question. And the question is Are you a friend of God? Or are you an enemy of God? Are you a friend of God or are you an enemy of God? Before you answer that, let's read God's word. Here's what it says in James chapter 4. James comes swinging out of the gate and he he says this, You adulterous people, exclamation point, in case you were wondering... Not a compliment. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Question for you this morning, has the world infected the church? Do you believe that the world and all that the world has to offer has infected the church? Let me ask it a different way. Do you think the world has infected your life? 
Do you think the world has infected your family? Imagine what would happen if we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn off all the lights, and if it's cold outside, we're going to turn off the, the heat, and if it's warm outside, we're going to turn off the AC, and we're just going to gather together, and all we're going to do is pray. That's all we're going to do. All we're going to do is open the Word. Would that be enough for you? We live in such an entertainment-driven, consumeristic culture. We go to so many things that entertain us. And the challenge with that is, if we're not careful, we bring that same ideology into Sunday morning. That we want to be entertained, we want to consume even more. And the problem with that is that the more entertainment we get, the more that we lean on and our crutch is that we have our consciences eased, is that when the bottom falls out, not if it does, but when the bottom falls out of your life and your marriage and your home and your business and your ball team and your church, when it falls out, what are you going to rely on? You got to have truth in your life. You got to have verity. You got to have a lathe in your life. This truth, this substance, this rock that, that no matter what comes into your life, you know where you stand and you know who you stand on. I mean, we would say, hey, uh, let's just gather together to pray. How many people would truthfully show up? All we're going to do is pray. Why would we do that? All we're going to do is hear from the Word. No gimmicks, no games, no jokes. Just, hey, we're going to open the Word, ask God, do you speak to our heart? Well, why do we want to do that? We live in a culture today that is searching for something to dull the pain and fill the void. We know the answer is Jesus Christ. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And yet the reality is, in my travels, I see the American church being greatly infected from the world. Not affected, infected. You adulterous people. He comes swinging out of the gate, doesn't he? Don't you love to come to church and be called an adulterer? I mean, think about this. He says, you adulterous people. What is James saying here when he's speaking here? Well, we'll go back up in your Bible. Look in your Bible here. So here's the context. So if your life, if your family, if your business, ball team, and church, if it's in shambles right now, if there's just contention and strife, here's the answer. James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your selfishness, are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't pray, how? You do not ask and pray and do not receive because you ask wrongly, selfishly, with wrong motives. You ask amiss, what's in it for me? How, why, to spend it on your, my, passions, selfishness, pleasures. And then he says here, you adulterous people. What's adultery? 
You could say cheating, unfaithfulness. In the physical, we automatically think of adultery in the physical realm, don't we? What does it take to be an adulterer? Like, where's the line? 70%? Oh, 80, that's right, 80%, right? Now, what does it take to be an adulterer? How many times? One. James is not talking about physical adultery. He's referring to spiritual adultery. How many times in that same equation does it take to live in spiritual adultery against God? How many times? One. You say, that bar is high. Of course it's high. Jesus died on a cross for you. This isn't sanitized, Mickey Mouse, Humpty Dumpty, Mr. Rogers Christianity. This is real. It's raw. It's to the core. It's what will change your life forever. That again, when, not if, when the bottom falls out of your life, you're going to hang your life on it. All the other stuff of the world is passing away. You're hanging your life on that. I meet people every week that are hanging their life on stuff of the world. Move here, drive this, have this bank account, retirement, sailboat, condo. They're just hanging their hat. Their, their hat's looking ahead going, well, if I just hang it here, well, if I just get there, man, I know it's going to be good. And then they get there. And they're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, of course it isn't. Jesus is not there. He says, you adulterers. Cheaters is what he's saying. He's writing to a Jewish audience and Old Testament God and Israel, kids of Israel. And and what do you have mixed in there? Well, when you have kids of Israel who are rebellious and defiant, just like us at times, and then you've got great holy God of the Bible who's perfect in all his splendor and glory. And and in the Old Testament, you see this marriage going on. That's the point James is saying this. He he knows in the context, these people are going to exactly know what he's talking about. When he said these, these words, can you imagine? They sat up in their seats, I bet. They're like, whoa, okay. You got my attention. Married to God, and this is unfaithfulness, which is not good. That's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one, selfishness leads to spiritual adultery. Write that down in your notes. Key number one, selfishness leads to spiritual adultery. Don't we love to have our consciousness ease, though? We're great rationalizers. I've said this before, so you've heard me say it, but no one lies to me more than I lie to me. Like, you don't lie to me more than I lie to me. I lie to me more than I lie to anyone else. Because I love to have my conscience ease. That's why there's such a struggle in the American church to just check off boxes, right? We check off boxes. We do this. We do that. We go here. We're, we're serving here. All good things, by the way. But there's a chasm. There's a chasm. The, the travesty in, in the sin nature is not just what the sin does to me or does to you, but the real travesty is the chasm between me and God when I sin. That's the travesty. 
There's a chasm there. There's broken fellowship. When I walk in sin, when you walk in sin, I don't care if you're a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. I don't care if you've been at church every day of your life. You might have got baptized 17 times at 17 different Baptist churches. Praise Jesus. Golf clap. Here's the reality. When you and I sin, there is a broken fellowship with God in that moment. Because God does not have any fellowship with darkness. And so when I sin, when, do you notice I said when? When I sin, I'm a sinful man. I struggle in the sin nature. And when I do, when I have that rebellious attitude, or I I think unkindly about so-and-so, or whatever it may be in my world or your world, I am actually having broken fellowship with God. I'm grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. That's no way to live life. There's not much victory in that life. See, selfishness, key number one, will lead, it leads to spiritual cheating. When I look at me and I focus on me, I'm cheating on God. And I was thinking through that thought and I couldn't help but go to Luke, write that down, Luke 15. Luke 15, 25 through 32, you're going to need this one. Luke 15, 25 through 32, so this is the account of the prodigal son. You guys know that? That account, raise your hand if you know about the prodigal son. Keep those hands really high for a moment. How many of you are prodigals? Keep your hands up in there. Are you prodigals? Yeah, we're all prodigals, amen. I know. Praise Jesus, amen. I mean, aren't you glad that, as we're going to see here in a moment from this text, that, that he ran, didn't he? He ran to that cross. And you know the account. So the prodigal son says, look, here's the deal. Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Like, I'm not waiting until you die. Actually, here's how much I think about you, Dad. You're as good as dead to me. Give me my cash. And what happens, uh, you guys maybe have been through this when you had a, a death in your family. And man, when there's money involved, whoo, watch out. Amen? It's amazing what people do when money's on the table, isn't it? I mean, we praise Jesus and... Man, when there's money to be had, it's funny how Jesus goes out the window, doesn't he? And I've seen families ripped apart because there's money on the table, and the me monster takes over. I'm going to fight for every penny of that. That's mine. Well, here's what happens. So the prodigal son says, look, Dad, you're as good as dead. Give me, give me, give me. That's key. And he goes out, and he squanders it all. He wastes it. And we talked about that last week from even James. Same words used there about using wrongly on your own passions. You're, you're wasting. But something happens to the prodigal son that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to see clearly. He's seeing clearly where he was walking. He's seeing clearly that he was walking in a way that was not of the Lord. And so he now begins to walk in the ways of the Lord. He says, look, I see clearly and I want to go back to my dad. I want to go back. I'm tired of living in the pigsty. I'm tired of this. And he gets to the point where he says, look, I'm willing to go back to my dad's house and even be a servant. Put me with those guys. I'll do whatever it takes. And he says, look, I'm going to go back and do this. And what happens? He's coming from afar off. And it says this, that the text says that the dad sees the son from a distance. And he sees him from a distance. And he begins to run. I picture dad sitting on that porch in a Cracker Barrel rocker. 
He's just sitting there rocking away, right? All of a sudden, he's been on the lookout here for his son. Where's my boy? Where's my boy? Where's my boy? He's been running away. He's been running away. But, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think I see him. Oh, I think I see him. Can you imagine? He's in his rocker, and he's comfortable in his rocker. He goes, wait a minute. That's my boy. That's my boy. I got to go get my boy. And he gets out of his rocker, and he runs to his son. And it says this, that he, that he falls on his son there, and, and he kisses him, and he's rejoicing. And he's so excited that, that my son who was dead is now alive. He was spiritually dead, but his eyes have been opened. He begins to shout and say, we're going to throw a party. We're going to throw a party. My son who was lost has come home. He's been found. We're going to throw a party. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a fatted calf. Uh, We're not going down to Weight Watchers. No, we're not. We're getting a fat calf. Bring a fat one here. We got sandals and shoes on his feet. We got a robe. We are treating my son like royalty, even though he treated me as though I was dead. That's love. That's a forgiveness out of this world. What a great end to that story, amen? But there's a travesty in this story. And that's the older brother. And the text in your Bible there in Luke 15 says it like this. Here it is. Now his older son, verse 25 of Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Hmm, interesting. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Hey, what's going on? Having a party, I wasn't invited. What's going on here? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now pause there for a moment. There's a decision to be made here by the older brother, isn't there? There's a decision to be made. Dad's embraced rebellious son who squandered his inheritance, called his own dad dead because he wanted an inheritance, and now dad is throwing younger rebellious son a party. Mm. Well, that'll get some bitter jealousy and selfishness going, won't it? You say, what do you mean? We'll look at the rest of the text. Verse 28 of Luke 15. But the older son, he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you, yeah, you, Dad, yet you never gave me, never gave me a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, did you notice this? He didn't say when my brother came. He goes, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And dad said to him, son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, 
for this brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. I think one of the great infections of the world inside the Christian home and church is that when that person who we don't like comes to know Jesus truthfully, how often do we really rejoice for them? It's just so easy, isn't it? To rationalize, to have our consciences eased. And we go on and on and on. And if we're not careful, we're the older brother. We are the older brother. We're the Pharisee. We're the one that has it all together. And we should be rejoicing. We should be rejoicing, saying, oh, don't allow selfishness and bitter envy to come into my life. Remember, we respond best of who we are when we don't get what we really, really want. Man, we don't get what we want. Man, the me monster goes wild. And we try to conceal it, try to keep the happy face on. It's amazing. You see this in your family. You see it at home, business, ball team. Yes, even at church. When we don't get what we want, who we really are comes out. And it's kind of like that, that old thought of, man, whatever's in the bottle, when it gets crushed, comes out. When you crush that bottle, whatever's in that bottle is coming out. And here God's word is, is showing us. He's saying, look, you adulterous people, you're cheating on God. He didn't say you're not going to church enough. Or you're not you know, checking off the boxes. He said, you're not really in. You're not really sold out. You're not really surrendered. And you say, well, well, how does that migrate into that second point of the, the text? We'll, we'll read it together. Here it is. Do you not know, James says, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He asks a question. So he calls them adulterers, and then he explains it. He says, look, here's where you are. You're living with one hand on God and one hand in the world. And I don't think you've ever done this before, but I've done this before. I've had one hand on God and one hand in the world. And here's what happens. I mean, you can do the dance for a while. I mean, for a while, you can get away with it. You can, you can kind of rock back and forth. But here's what happens. As God begins to move further away and self and the world move farther away, what happens? You get stretched, don't you? And when you get stretched, what do you do? Man, you are just trying with every fiber of your being to hang on to both. Then you go down here to index fingers, right? Index finger time. Man, you are hanging on. You're hanging on for dear life. God, you're awesome. You're awesome. World self, ooh, you're pretty good too. And you're getting stretched. And sooner or later, you got to let go of one. Here's why. Because we're so fearful in our flesh. We don't want to fall. We're going to grab onto one or the other. Which one are you grabbing onto? You can't for a lifetime play the game. Can't do it. Won't work. And James says, do you not know? Do you not know? In other words, this, are you not deeply understanding? He's saying, are you not deeply understanding what you're doing? He says, look, here is the reality of your cheating on God. You're having a friendship with the world that's resulting in enmity with God. You say, what does that even mean? 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Friendship here in the original language means this, to have an intimate emotional connection. Intimate emotional connection. When you and I are tempted by the things of the world, what we're saying to God is, I don't trust you. When we're tempted by the things of the world, what we're saying to God is, I don't believe you. When we're tempted by the things of the world, as we're lured into that, because here's the deal, we all want to be intimately, emotionally connected. That's how we're wired. And so often what happens in the fleshly nature is we look for our intimate, emotional connection towards everything except Jesus. So here's the deal. Do we not deliberately know that this intimate emotional connection with the world is actually enmity with God. It's hostility, opposition. Here's probably the better word, hatred. So if you're here today, and maybe you are here today, maybe you're one of those that you got both hands, you got one hand on the world, one hand on Jesus, you think, preacher, I'm good. Trust me on this, you're not. You're playing with fire is what you're doing. You are playing with fire. You are playing a serious game. You're going to lose. I remember as a boy, we would uh, go to my grandpa's farm and they had one of those 55-gallon drums. You know what I'm talking about? Big 55-gallon drum. They'd have out in the back and they'd always burn. You know, you'd throw all the trash in there, right? Well, as a boy, what do you do? What do you do as a boy? I mean, playing a fire, don't you? That's, that's what you do. As, if you're a boy, that's what you do, Right? We'd go out there and play in the fire. I can remember vividly a couple days that we're having a good time out there and don't tell anybody, but, uh, you know, squirting a little lighter fluid on there occasionally, you know, just trying to, trying to have a little fun, you know what I mean? And so we're out there playing in the fire, right? There's a couple times. Woo, wow. That was hot. Why? Because it just got comfortable near the fire. Comfortable. And we inched in a little closer because it was comfortable. And before we knew it, our hands were getting burnt. See, that's what the enemy does. He's much more patient than we will ever be. He will wait a lifetime for you and I to drive off a spiritual cliff. He says, just play it next to the fire as long as you want. Key number two, it's so important. Friendship with the world and the wrong people will lead me away from God. I can't say this one enough. I've seen this happen over and over. I can remember growing up as a pastor's kid and you know, you're just kind of sitting there just kind of kind of watching the tennis match go on so to speak going, yeah, that that dude, that gal, yeah. Not a genius here, but I'd call that a wolf. I mean, wolves are in sheep's clothing, and, and they, they want to devour, that they want to take on, that they, they want to always dominate. 
They're in your home at times. They're at your business or ball team, and they are at your church. And as was once said, when the wolf gets in the sheep's pen, who decides what's for lunch? And we've got to be on our guard. Men, it's your job to pastor your home. Can't say this enough. You are the watchtower, the pastor of your home. I'm not the pastor of your home. You are. That's your job. I will pastor you to pastor your home, but that's your job. And we got to be on our guard because we got to circle the wagons and go, who's in my sphere of influence that's talking noise to try to sow discord, to try to plant seeds of wickedness in my home, my business, my ball team, my church? These people exist. I remember the church camp I went to years ago, and uh, I wasn't involved in this, praise the Lord for His protection, but you know, people think that all pastors are, are good. It's not true. Not all deacons are good, Sunday school teachers. Go on and on down the list. I'll never forget this one, though. Uh, this pastor from our church that... Sure enough, came out to be revealed later on that while we're at church camp, he's taking kids out in the woods and they're literally worshiping Satan. Literally. Look good on the outside, wolf. Great manipulator. Had an answer for everything, wolf. Just call it what it is. You allow these people into your life, They're going to destroy you. I've seen this happen over and over. They will absolutely destroy you. Why? Because they're enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Be on your guard. Telling you this stuff is real. Today is the persecuted church Sunday. We study the persecuted church. And one of the things I always think about the persecuted church, and I love this about the persecuted church, is that their faith is a fight, not a fashion show. I mean, it's real. I mean, it's real. It's what they hang their hat on their life on. You got to understand this, church. I got to understand this that friendship with the world and with the wrong people will lead me away from God. It will lead you away. You're not strong enough. Can't do it. You got to surround yourself with holy, godly, wisdom filled people that will preach and speak truth into your life, and you do the same to them. You pray for those who are wicked. You pray for the wolves. Pray they will turn and give their life to Jesus. Don't hang out with them. Well, they're my friend. Find a new friend. 1 John 2, 15-17. 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love for the Father is not in them. Ow. Mm. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, number one, the lust of the eyes, number two, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Did you catch that? When you see that in the text there in the Bible, whoever does the will of God is talking about obedience. 
Remember Jesus and Luke, he says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I ask you to do? Well, I show up every now and then. I help out. Do you love me? Do you truly give everything for me? Are you in for me? Do three drops of rain keep you from church? Eh, it's going to rain today. Can you imagine if Jesus is going to the cross and he goes, man, it's going to rain today. I think I'll hold off on this one. I mean, just the insanity of how we've been so infected. We'll make every excuse. And then people ask, as I talk to them about their families, why is my family falling apart? I think it's pretty clear. Are you all in for Jesus? The last part of the verse says it like this, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So let me read this all in context. So here's the whole verse 4, James 4, 4. You adulterous people, exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, penned these words, therefore, whoever wishes, he's saying this, whoever deliberately desires to be a friend, intimate emotional connection with the world, with selfishness, with the flesh, here's what you're signing up for. Here's the contract that is slid across the table. You're signing it. Here's the fine print. Here it is. Makes himself an enemy of God. The question in life is not what do you do when God goes your way. The real question in life is what do you do when he doesn't go your way? That's the real question. Like, are you still hanging on to Jesus with every fiber of your being? Now, I am in. I, I will not bend. I won't buckle. I won't break. Is that your mantra? Have you made that declaration on the front end? I've told my kids, I've said, don't wait till you get in the temptation to try to figure out an escape plan. I mean, how many times does that happen with a teenager? They're in a temptation. And they naturally come to the conclusion, let's pray. Is that what happens? I think we should break out our Bible. Is that what happens? No, we're diving over the cliff head first. We'll figure out the mess later, right? Don't wait as your adult life is continuing on to figure out an escape plan when you get in the temptation. Decide this day, choose this day whom you will serve. I pray there'll be some men, women, students today that will say, you know what, come hell or high water, as for me and my house, we're serving Jesus. And no matter what that does to my world, my sphere of influence, it may break relationships, there may have to be some hard conversations. You're a wolf, I'm no longer hanging out with you. That actually is the most loving thing you can tell a wolf. The worst thing you can do is keep hanging out with them. You know what that does to the wolf? The wolf goes, man, they approve of what I'm doing. No, you're a wolf. You say, well, what's this enmity thing? This enemy thing makes himself 
produces, decides that I'm going to be what? Antagonistic. I'm going to be antagonistic and an adversary of God. Anyone wake up this morning saying, I can't wait to antagonize God? Anybody? How about be an adversary? Anybody? Yeah, it's ludicrous, isn't it? But when we are making an intimate emotional connection with the world and worldly people, we are in turn saying, God, I'm going to war against you. Anyone ever read the Old Testament before? Old Testament lovers out there, a couple of you are saved. Praise Jesus. What does God do to his enemies? Patty cake, right? Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man, right? Now, what does he do? Annihilation? Yeah, good word. He said, that's Old Testament. Well, what about in Revelation? You guys ever read Revelation before? Easy book to get through. Just breeze through it in the afternoon. Revelation, right? Well, what do you see in there? Well, we know this, that there were seven churches there, and you had two that were good, and that means five that were bad, right? And if you do that percentage, if you're an NFL quarterback and you complete two out of seven passes every game, that gives you a 28%, 28.5% to be exact, percentage completion rate. That will bring a new definition to the acronym NFL because it's called not for long. Amen? If you're at 28.5, you'll be bagging groceries and pumping gas. That's what's going to happen to you. There's a church of those five that were so wicked. Churches that were wicked. I know, it doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, Jesus described one as the synagogue of Satan. And Pergamos was married to the world, just in love with the world. And you see what happens here. If we're not careful, we can become married to the world, and God will always have the victory. If you and I are hanging around people that profess to know Jesus, but they're really sowing discord, they're going to suffer, and you're going to suffer. I've seen this happen over and over. I can't warn you enough. It's hard, but it's necessary. I love the word here because in in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, write this down, Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Did you catch that? So Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, greatest sermon ever. And there Jesus is saying, look, no one can serve two masters. You can't do this. At some point on this line of hanging on, you are going to fully devote yourself to one or the other, but not both. You can't do it. That's why it's so important that key number three is illuminating our hearts. Key number three, I must daily preach to myself that if I pursue self, I'm deciding to go to war against God. Key number three, write it down. I must daily, you can't do this once a week. You cannot detox from the world for an hour or so on a Sunday morning. You can't do it. We've been inundated by the world all week long. And if you're going to leave it to one week on a Sunday morning just to listen and only remember about 20% of what you hear, roughly 12 minutes 
is somehow going to carry you through the rest of the week? It's not happening. I must daily preach to myself. You must daily preach to yourself. That if I pursue self, I am deciding to go to war against God. Let me make a note here. I can't do this for you. One thing about being a pastor is your heart longs. I can't even explain this in human terms, but I will try. As a pastor, your heart longs. I mean longs for the people that you preach and teach to just to totally be in for Jesus. I think about this all the time. Your heart just longs for people to be sold out and surrendered. But I can't do this for you. I'm not going to wake up at 3.16 every morning and knock on your door, say, time to read the Bible. That's your job. You've got to want this. If I want this more than you want this, you will never want this. But when you really want this, woo, it's a game changer. Your life, your family, your marriage will never be the same again. I mean, it will never be the same again. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. You're like looking at the dude going, who are you? Where did you come from? Oh, I just gave everything to Jesus. Yeah, you did. And then I see so many others over here who are just hanging on. Man, we're feeling comfortable. We're feeling good. God hasn't struck us with lightning bolts yet, so he must be okay with us. And as we live this lukewarm life, we know that Jesus would rather vomit us out of his mouth. How about 2 Corinthians? Write these last two verses down. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So often we use this in the context of dating, right? You ever heard that term? We're on a missionary date. You know, one's a believer, one's not, and we're going to somehow make this thing work. And it hasn't happened in my experience. I'm not saying that it never has, but in my experience, when I've seen that situation in my ministry, 100% of the time in my experience, the person who's the believer gets converted to the dark side. See, we've got to be so careful can't say this enough. Who you hang out with is who you become. Are you surrounding yourself with godly people? Get a fortress around you. Don't be isolated. That's the devil's playground. He wants you to be isolated. Yeah, just kind of, you know, get off to the side and just kind of float along. No, be intentional. Be urgent. You never stumble into victory by accident in the Christian life. It takes an effort intentionality to say, man, I'm all in. I'm going to do whatever it takes in my life to be the man, to be the woman, to be the student that God has called me to be. You say, well, that's going to be a pretty, pretty high price tag. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's going to cost you a lot. People are actually going to hate you. Jesus warned us. He says, 
For those that are really in for him, as the world hated him, they're going to hate you. But he gave everything. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Not some. We got to get out of this I surrender some business. We sing that song all the time, don't we? I surrender some. Some to Jesus I surrender. Some to him I freely give. I surrender some. I surrender some. Great Baptist hymn of the faith, isn't it? No, it's I surrender all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I mean, once it was literally scarlet red, and now it's white as snow. My sin has been cast from the east to the west, and, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. For those that are truly converted, it usually doesn't take a pep rally to get people motivated. Ephesians 5, our last verse, says it like this. Ephesians 5, 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Did you catch this? So Paul has been writing to the church in Corinth, now Ephesus, and he says that, here's the warning, take no, like zero, take no part with unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. That's hard to do, isn't it? Man, it's easy to sit on the hands, isn't it? Do nothing. Just kind of, didn't say anything, right? No, expose it. The worst thing you can do in your home is to not address sin patterns in your home. I say this happens all the time. If you're a parent, you have kids. Your kids need a parent, not another friend. They need you to speak truth into their life. There's going to be some times that you're going to do everything in your power. You're going to have them at church. They're going to be in student ministry. They're going to be serving. And sometimes they still make dumb, stupid, ungodly decisions. Do you actually abandon them? Of course you don't. But sometimes what you do, just speak enough truth into their life to say, look, no more. Well, that'll wake you up, won't it? If you've ever been confronted before, I mean, I've been confronted. And when I got confronted, that woke me up. I mean, it was like... Right? You're like, I'm not doing this anymore. But it's just so easy, isn't it? Just to go along, to get along. I mean, the lights may be on, the doors may be open, but what you can be doing when you sit on your hands is just prolonging the inevitable death. That's why you say, look, I'm going to have no fellowship, no koinonia with darkness. If that person represents darkness, and although, by the way, by the way, you'll know, oh, you know, you know. I mean, when that person walks into the room, you go, oh, man, I don't know who's coming with them, but I know it's a spirit and the first name's not holy. I mean, you're just like, wow, you just feel it. It's stuff is real. You don't battle against that person in the cubicle next to you. No, you don't. This is a spiritual war going on. And there's times where in love and grace and mercy and truth, you go, wolf. And you do the right thing. Otherwise, what's happening is you're driving the getaway car and you both go to prison. What partnership has righteousness and sin? What fellowship has light with darkness? That's why the takeaway question is simply this. What am I doing daily to feed my soul to go to war against selfishness? 
What am I doing daily to feed my soul to go to war against selfishness? What are you doing? Like, what am I doing? Are you doing anything? Are you killing it? Do you recognize it? Do you say, I don't want this in my life any longer? I don't want to be in bondage to this any longer. But why is it I get so bent out of shape when I don't get what I want? I can't keep living like this. Are you going to war? Do you have a plan in place? Again, it's a fight, this faith. It's not a fashion show. We've got to get real about this and serious about this. Jesus is coming back. People are dying. They need the Lord. That's why the action step is so imperative. Here it is. Action step. I will tenaciously guard my relationships with other people and with the world, knowing that they will either push me towards Jesus or away from Jesus. Write that down. Here's your action step for this week. I will tenaciously, there's intentionality, there's passion there, guard. Guard my relationships with other people and with the world knowing that they will either push me towards Jesus or away from Jesus. All of us in the room at least have one friend, I would think. Some of you have many friends. Question for you and me today. I'm asking myself the same question, but we know the truth that our friends, our sphere of influence around us, they're pointing us somewhere. Oh, they're pointing you somewhere. They're pointing me somewhere. Where are they pointing you? Like, where are they pointing you? And there's only two options. Right? They're pointing you to Jesus or they're pointing you to self in the world. Where are your friends pointing you? Are you actually bringing them up to God's holiness or are they dragging you down to the enemy's darkness? Does this mean that we don't evangelize? Of course it doesn't. Use common sense here. You know what I'm talking about here. This is not that we just hole up in a basement in a bunker somewhere, like never go out. That's not what we're talking about here. But you know your weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. There are certain things that I don't want to have anything to do with in my life. So I put bunkers up. I put guardrails everywhere I go in those weak areas. I don't play patty cake with them. You know your weaknesses, whatever they are, put guardrails everywhere. I mean, make this thing Fort Knox. Do whatever you got to do to build up the bunker around you with still, yes, making disciples that make disciples. Because it's so easy to be the older brother, isn't it, for honest? Even inside the church house, we hear about someone who got a promotion. Well, we, we don't clap too hard, do we? And we hear about someone who, who said something that it was really, really biblical in a class. And you now we get all bent out of shape because... We didn't come up with the idea. I mean, what's that going to do in any sort of culture? It's going to destroy it from the inside out. That's why it's so important that James says these words. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you a friend of God, truthfully? Truthfully, are you a friend? Are you an enemy of God? Are you cheating on God right now? Are you cheating on God? You know when you're cheating, by the way, don't you? No one has to tell you when you're cheating. No, you know. Are you cheating on God? The worst thing you can do for your family right now is cheat on God. 
The thing you need to do for your family right now is be all in for Jesus. And watch him work like only he can work. Amen? Father, we come before you, and God, we just lift your name on high. God, I renounce every scheme of the enemy here today. God, I just pray against whatever the enemy is trying to do in our homes, in our church, in our businesses, on our ball teams. God, I pray we will be the ones that will lead in this godliness that you're calling us to. Don't allow us just to sit back and look the other way, but help us to get into the game and say, this is not of the Lord. Kind of guard everything we do. We don't want to cheat on God any longer. We don't want to be a friend with the world and the flesh and the selfish nature. We want to be a friend of God, an intimate emotional connection with King Jesus. We want to abide in the true vine. And so God, I pray when you speak in a mighty way in this time that as we surrender all, not some, would you do a work only you can do, oh God. Don't allow us to rebel right now. Right now, the temptation is to ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray, would you stir? For those that are here today and have never given their life to you, God, I pray right now will be that change, that, that moment of salvation, God. I pray they'll do it right now. For those that are here and, and they're walking in rebellion, maybe they have a relationship that they need to sever. They're just being drugged down. God, whatever it is you're trying to do in my life and everyone's life here today, would you simply just take over as we say, God, have your way with me. God, we love you and we want to be all in. We don't want to cheat on you any longer. And so God, would you speak in this time of surrender? We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.